Christ in Ukraine. All right. Demiss to three through six-year-olds. All right. Goodbye, guys. Hey, I was wondering, how do you get a, a pastor who's a saint? How did he get sainted? That's my question this morning. I told my church down in Raymore, where I used to pastor, who I'm going to with this saint, Pastor St. Lawrence. And they said, well, how do we get a sainted pastor? You're not sainted. We know that. You pastored here for seven years. We want to get one of those sanctified pastors. So I need to know, is he sanctified, church? Is he okay? Yeah. Well, the Lord says he is, right? In, in 1 Corinthians, they... Uh, They were sanctified. They were set apart. They were sainted by God. It's in Christ Jesus that makes us a saint. Praise the Lord. I I wanted to share with you before I before I speak to you this morning, uh, as pastor shared, the, the new ministry opportunity that we have in Laos and the focus on our ministry in Ukraine right now with Slavic Baptist Institute is the training of nationals. And I do believe with all my heart that this is the absolute key. If we're going to complete the commission that God has given us to complete, there has to be a focus on the training of nationals to do the work. And uh, I know, number one, you say, well, why, why do this? Why have a focus on training nationals? Well, number one, I believe it's biblical. I believe that's what Paul, where his focus was. It was on finding faithful men who were committed to the truth that you could commit the truth to, teach them the truth, give them the truth, and then let them go with that truth. And I'm telling you, when we do that, and I think when our focus is there, that we'll find God will bless that. I believe it's been a method that has been blessed of God by missionaries in the past. You know, you go to uh, countries even such as uh, China today or even where uh, William Carey uh, worked in India. You still see an influence of their time there, of their ministry there over, what, 100, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, 200 years ago. Because there was a there was a, a purpose, there was a drive to train nationals. I want to read to you something that William Carey wrote, and I'd like you to think about this, consider this morning. He writes, India will never be turned from her gross idolatry to serve the true and living God unless the grace of God rests abundantly upon converted natives that qualify them for mission work. And unless by the instrumentality of those who care for India, they be sent forth to the field. In my judgment, therefore, it is on native evangelists that the weight of great work must ultimately rest. In other words, he's saying it's the training of national Indian people where he was. This is the only way we're going to reach such a country with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you think about the nationals. And there are many different, I don't have time this morning to share this with you, but many different positives to to supporting them and setting them free. They don't have to have a visa to live there. I can't go to Laos, for example, as a missionary and get a visa as a missionary. It's impossible. It's illegal. It's against the law there. But a trained national can have almost full access to travel to move within the country of Laos. Now, there can be restrictions and they have to be very careful But they don't have to have a visa to be there, and they can travel freely within the country. They don't have to learn a language. Julie and I are are working uh, on the Russian languages. We're there in Ukraine. But, boy, when I heard the Tao and Lao languages, I thought that's just a whole other world itself to try to learn. And the the way the alphabet is and everything else, you're just kind of looking at it thinking, I thought Russian was hard. This even seems more, more difficult. They don't have to learn a language. They don't have to learn a culture. 
When, when I was in Laos uh, there just a few weeks ago, it was really my first time to be in a country uh, that was driven by Buddhism and animism. And the way people think and the way they act, again, very different from how we think and act. I, I would have to learn, and I am trying to learn little things about culture, but I'm learning. A national doesn't have to learn the culture. I'll give you another thought. A national is much more adapted to live there, uh, really, in, with health issues, considering health issues, their, their immunity and natural resistance to, to, uh, to, to disease, to even to food. For example, while I was there, the water, the food. I, I, I tried to drink only bottled water. I tried to, tried to be careful when I ate, and, and boy, the food is very, very spicy. I mean, Mexican is like low level down here, beginner level for Lao food. Lao can be very, 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 very spicy. And uh, I'm trying to protect myself, do the best I can. Well, it, it caught up to me. Just the differences in the spices and the, the waters, whatever, it, it's going to catch up to you. They had no issues, right? And uh, so I, I'm just saying there are many positives for supporting nationals. And I believe that's, that's our focus. We, we want to be involved with church planning. Uh, we want to be involved with uh, seeing churches started in different, different various parts. But the focus needs to be on training nationals for that work. So pray for us. Pray in Ukraine. Pray for this new open door that we have in Laos. Just pray for the Lord to bless us, to give us wisdom and grace to train nationals and to see them set free with the the glorious truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to go minister to the people. Listen, we have a work to do. We have lots of work to do. I was with my dad down in the Kansas City area. It's hay season. He's cutting hay. Uh, it was not yesterday, day before yesterday. I was out raking hay for him and doing that thing. How did I get corralled into raking hay? I'm back here. It's ministry, Dad. What am I doing here out in the hay field with you? But I, I love that kind of work, uh, working with cows and doing the rest of it. There's always work to do on the farm, always work to do uh, when you got when you got that type of life. But listen, we've got a lot of work to do. And our work's an eternal work that God is calling us to do. And right now, church, we're we're falling short of finalizing, of finishing the work that Christ has given us to do. And I want to speak to you about that this morning. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Matthew. Book of Matthew. You're all going to know the passage we're going to read from this morning uh, in Matthew chapter 28. But I want to I want to share with you this morning about Christ and missions. And I'd like to give you. Maybe some thoughts about this this morning for you to consider Christ and missions. Let's come down to Matthew 28, verse number 16. Let's read through verse number 20. Would you stand with me as we read God's word this morning? I'll read. You follow along there. Verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into the mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, and some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven. And in earth, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. And grace bless us this morning as we look into your word, Lord. We thank you for the songs that we've sung this morning and for the the purpose behind those songs of, of your, your sanctification, of your salvation, of justification that we have so freely in Christ, of the relationship that we have with you, the peace that we have with you because of his shed blood. Lord, I pray, Father, today that he would be uplifted, that he would be glorified. 
that you would now minister and speak to our hearts. May we each one this morning come before you. May we bow before you. May we give thanks to you for the redemption that you have given to us, that we have heard your gospel, that your spirit has worked, that we have received your gospel for the glory of your praise. And this morning, Lord, would you challenge us with the mission that you have called us to, to reach the world with this wonderful gospel that has changed us and saved us and redeemed us, that we will be compelled to get this gospel to every creature for the glory of your name. And it's in Christ's name we ask and pray. Amen. All right, please be seated. As we look in our passage and we consider this morning, I'd I'd like to kind of give you some introductory thoughts to think about. And the first one is that we we notice here in verse number 19, when when the Lord states to go ye therefore and and to teach all nations, the word there for nations is a is a word where ethos, it's it's where we get our word maybe for ethnic or ethnicity, but it's it speaks of all people groups. All people groups in the world, Christ is saying here, he wants all people groups to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are estimates that there are people groups in the world of some 16,400 people groups in the world today. 16,400. Some define a people group as this. It is the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church planning movement without encountering barriers Uh, of understanding or acceptance. So language, for example, can be a barrier, but language is not always a barrier. Even within Laos, for example, you have something, I think they estimate around 130 different ethnic groups within Laos. Just among the Lao people, I I know of three different groups within them. And then you've got the Kamu people, the the Hmong people, which are are different altogether. I'm just saying, if you count ethnic groups, somewhere around 16,000 400 ethnic groups in the world today. And today it is estimated that over 6,700 people groups are considered unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that would be uh, more than a third, 40%, whatever that would be, of these people groups are unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet what is the command of Christ? Go to all people groups. Go to all nations, not speaking about nations like Ukraine is a nation, a government nation. All people groups are to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in Mark's gospel, if you turn over there and you looked in chapter 16, you would see where he says to go to every creature. So in Matthew's gospel, he's telling us go to all people groups. In Mark's gospel, he's telling us to go to every created human being, right? With the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's somewhere around 7.6 billion people in the world today. I think I read where in, by the year 2050, there will be 10 billion people in the world. And yet, as I look at it, and as you, as you look at the world and the population of the world today... A majority of the world has never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I have an illustration here, something that I read, that if the world were ten people, estimated, just in general, the world were ten people, uh, one would be saved, two would be nominal Christians, four would have some access to the gospel, three would have no access to the gospel. So you're looking at seven out of ten 
that have no gospel or have very little gospel, if any at all. And that doesn't mean that those some of those have even heard the gospel. It just means in their country, uh, for example, take Lithuania, where Julie and I ministered for about 10 years, about uh, a little over 3 million people, 3.3 million people. I'm just telling you, we, we were there over that period of time. We personally witnessed doors, parks, so forth to people. The majority of the people that I met there, though they would say that it was a Christian nation or a rich nation, I'm just telling you the majority had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ before. So if we're looking at this, out of ten people in the world, roughly seven have never heard the gospel. They've never had a clear gospel presentation to them. Yet the commandment of Christ is to go to every ethnic group with the gospel. Every culture group is to hear the gospel. Every creature is to hear the gospel. I'm just sharing, folks. We, we have work to do. Our Lord is coming. I don't know when he's coming. I'm not saying it's next week. It might be later today, and it could be later today. I'm not giving you a time frame. I'm just saying you can kind of see things lining up. Our Lord is coming. I'm telling you that. That's a for sure thing. He has promised he's going to do it. My friends, he will do it. He's kept every promise he's ever made. I'd see no reason he's going to break a promise. He wouldn't be God if he did break the promise, right? He has promised us of his return. He is coming. He has given us a mission He has given us a great work to do. And that is to get this message of his saving grace, of what he did on Calvary's Hill, to the world. I remember reading of Hudson Taylor, a story of Taylor, when he, and I believe it was uh, William Burns, they were together in China. And they, they met a man as they were out in China. And this man hears the gospel for the first time. And he responds to the gospel. And he decides that day, listen, I've, I've heard of Buddhism. I've tried that. I've heard of Confuciusism. I've tried that. I've heard of all these different things. I've tried them. I've found no satisfaction in them. And, and, and he shares with him about Christ and the gospel. And he says, this is the answer. He trusts in Christ. He receives Christ. And then he asks, he asks uh, Taylor this question. He says, How long ago did this take place? How long ago did this happen? When when did this Jesus, the Son of God, when He came to this hill that you called Calvary, when He bore my sin upon that cross, when He died there in my place that I might have peace with my Creator God, and then He rose three days later, when did this take place? Taylor has to tell him it took place 2,000 years ago. Well, how long have you known about this in England? Maybe maybe in England you just received this truth, you know, uh, 50 years ago or 20 years ago. Is that why we're just hearing it now in China? Taylor has to tell him, no, we've known the truth much longer than that. My friends, there are people today that are passing into eternity, even since we began our service. They've gone from the cradle to the grave, and they've never once heard of the love of God through Jesus Christ. And that's not the will of God. You say, well, most of the world, they're just going to reject the gospel. Why do we even have to worry? Listen, that's not your or mine concern. The mission that we have from God is to get the gospel to all the world. And I don't think the church understands that this is not something that we are to pray about doing. This is a commandment from our supreme leader, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he has given to his church to take this message to every people group and to every person within every people group to get them the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a commandment. 
We just did a session in our institute there in Ukraine in May. First time that it's ever been taught, but we, we taught world evangelism and missions as a subject. And that was wonderful. I got to teach the whole week and I did some study and put together a syllabus. And one of the things included in the syllabus was a history of missions. And I knew some about the Moravians, and I had read some about the Moravians, but I I went back and I did some more study as I was putting this syllabus together about the Moravians. And it was fascinating to be reminded again about the Moravians and the work that God did through them. Have you ever read about Count Zinzendorf? Her and Hutt, modern-day Germany today. Zinzendorf was a, a, a leader, if you will, a baron of that area gets saved, comes to Christ, surrenders to Christ, and then he opens up his place for different groups of people. This was at the very uh, end of of the Reformation time, or actually before the Reformation time, during that time of the Reformation, where where they were they were uh, still being persecuted from around Europe, and they would they would come into his area, and there's around three hundred people that he had. And they began to seek the Lord. They began a prayer meeting which would last about a 100 years, they say. This prayer meeting began where someone was praying 24 hours a day. For a 100 years they were praying. And they began to pray and seek God. And God began to send missionaries out of their movement. And though they only began as a group of 300 when they first started, and though I think Zinzendorf would be there some like 40 years or something, that he would be alive during this time of the ministry and leading it, they would send out somewhere around 220 missionaries over that 40-year period that he was there. From that group of 300, now obviously it must have grown some. In fact, I think it got up to somewhere around 3,000 or so in its growth. But can you imagine they sent, this is the, the early 1600s, that they sent over 200 missionaries into the world? 225? And of the first 23 or 4 that they sent out, 20 or 21 of them died. You would think when they started dying, they well, this must not be the will of God. There was a group of uh, two young men uh, uh, that, that were the very, I think, the very first two that they ever sent. And they sent these, these two young men heard about this island that was off in the, uh, uh, in the West Indies Isles. And there was a group of, uh, of, uh, uh, slaves that were on these islands, around 2,500 slaves. And Zinzendorf was told about this through a slave that had come to Europe that, hey, well, there's this island, there's slaves there, there's no gospel there, no missionary work there. Zinzendorf shares it with his, uh, little band there in Hurrenhut and they hear about it and two young men come to him and they say, you know what, we think God wants us to go there. We want to go there. We want to take the gospel there. So they decide, okay, they contact the owner of the island, who was the owner of the slaves, and he rejected them. He says, you can't go there. We don't want you here. We don't need you here. We don't, the, the, uh, the slaves are here to work. I'm not about religion. I'm about getting all the work I can out of them. I don't need anybody here slowing things up. And then these two young men come back and they say, well, would you purchase us as slaves? We are willing to sell ourselves to you as slaves. Would you purchase us as slaves? And the owner said, well, if you're willing to do that, yes, I will purchase you. And he purchases them as slaves for the express purpose that they can go to that island 
Be slaves. Lose every right to their life. Not coming home for Christmas. Don't have that right. Don't get two weeks of vacation a year. They won't have that right either. But they're going to go to that island because there are souls there that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ before. Christ has commanded them to go into all the world. This They see this as an open door, even though it means themselves selling themselves as slavery. And so they go to take the gospel there. Would you say the Moravians were just a little bit committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the missions? And the different reports that I read as I was trying to put together some things on the Moravians, different reports I read, they came to this conclusion. Why did God use the Moravians? Why were they so impactful in world missions, though this was, what, 400 and something years ago? How did this take place? And you know what they came to the conclusion of? Because they were absolutely committed to the commission. They knew that it was a commandment of Jesus Christ and they were committed to fulfilling that. I've read that they even had it figured out that roughly as they were sending these missionaries into the world, that it took about four families to support one missionary. And so here was their thinking, and I'm I'm paraphrasing this, but this was their thinking. All right. We We are called to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is our this is our challenge. This is our commitment. This is our our command from the Lord is to get this message to everyone. Every one of our membership has a responsibility in doing this. Now, not all of us are called to go. Not all of us will be uh, you know called to go that God gives them this calling to go. But we're all called to missions. We're all called to have a part. Now, some of us are going to be goers. Have a special calling to go. But if you're not called to go, that means you're called to be a sender. You're going to send. To be a sender means that part of my purpose here in the Great Commission as a sender is to help support the goers financially. To support them going. To support getting Bibles uh, translated, Bibles printed, the gospel of Jesus Christ out. Uh, And so part of my work as a sender is to support it financially. Part of my work as a sender is to support them prayerfully with my prayers. That's the 100-year prayer meeting. You see, the commitment level was the same. If you were a goer or a sender, the commitment level, there wasn't a difference. We often think, well, man, the goers, they're the ones that are really committed. They're the ones that have surrendered. And that's part of our problem. No, the senders have to be as committed as the goers. And if we can get more goers committed to going by God's grace, and we can get our senders committed at that same level, you watch out what the church can do. I don't believe that God would call the church today to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ if it's impossible for us to do so. I don't think he would call us to do something that we cannot do. I believe that we can reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ in our day. I believe the laborers are already in the church, and I believe the finances to finance that is already in the church. I believe the prayer warriors to pray that all to be are already in the church. The question is, are we committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And if we want to make an impact like these Moravians did, I forget now how many countries they went into, but it was amazing to me thinking about this happening 400 years ago. No Internet, no airplanes, no vehicles. And yet how many countries they went into? They came over here to America. They were up in here, is it Bethlehem, Pennsylvania? That was started by the Moravians as a mission. 
I haven't been there yet, but I want to go there. And I, I, I saw through a video that there is a graveyard there, that, that, that many Moravians are buried there that came over here to work. You know what they did when they came over? They were so committed that this was their purpose, that they, they built a dormitory so that they would have more money to give to the mission. They would work, but they would share kitchens. They would share these different areas of the building. They would live there that they could support missions in a greater way. And they say out in that graveyard, when you go out to it, you see the names of Moravians there, but you also see the names of Indians there that were converted to Jesus Christ. I tell you, it's really something. Are we committed to the commission? Now, as we look at our passage, and we consider here this morning very briefly, the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to just give you some thoughts here, some quick thoughts this morning. I shared with uh, Sunday school this morning that in Ukraine, we have two messages, at least a minimum of two, sometimes three messages every Sunday morning service. So listen, I'm really, uh, really surrendering here today just to have one message. All right. Uh, This is really I'm compromising. All right. Since I'm coming back from Ukraine. But here we go. We look in, in, in verse, uh, the verse number 18 there, and this is my first thought this morning concerning Christ and missions, and that is this. Christ has authorized the mission. Look what it says in verse 18. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power. Who, who has all power been given to? The Lord Jesus Christ. All power, all authority has been given unto me. This is what I'm telling you to do. I'm telling you to take this message out. On whose authority do we go into all the world and we take this message? I tell you, there's not a higher authority. He's the preeminent one. To him belongs all preeminence, right? He is the Lord of lords. He is the King of kings. Does your Bible say that? My Bible says he's the Lord of lords and the King of kings. I know there's a lot of earthly kings, earthly lords in this world today, but there is one King of kings, there is one Lord of lords, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has authorized the mission. There is not a higher authority. There's there's not some court or some higher being, some higher office that you can go to. There's none. He has authorized it. He is the creator. He has sent us into all the world. One of the sayings that the Moravians had was this, and I have it on my computer screen. I've got it. It's kind of a stained glass picture, but this was their saying. Our lamb has conquered. Let us follow him. Our lamb has conquered. Let us follow him. He has given us the authority. Let us do what he has called us to do. My friends, we have the authority to go. What are we waiting for? We have the authority to take this message into all the world. He has given us this authority. Let's go. Second thought I have this morning, and just briefly leave our passage and go over with me to Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. Not only has he authorized our mission, but secondly, he has empowered the mission. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read here where the Lord states right before his ascension on high, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria. And what's the rest of that say? Unto where? Uttermost parts of the earth. Now, when God... 
God did a work in my life. We were actually, I was from Kansas City here. We moved out when we were first married. We were living out in Southern California. And while we were there, God took me out to the desert to do a work in my life. And God was showing me that I was not really surrendered to him. I thought I was surrendered, but I really wasn't surrendered to him or his will. I had my own plans. God, you can be a part of my plans. And he was a part of my plans. And we went to church and I sang in the choir. I had even been a deacon. I had worked with the teenagers, been a, been a pastor, a youth pastor there with the teens. I still had my secular work I was doing and I enjoyed all this. But really, I had not surrendered to what his will was. And I remember hearing of a church in Los Angeles. And this church in Los Angeles had lost their pastor and they needed a pastor. And a friend of mine who who was a a member there of the church, he knew of this church and he told me about that they needed this pastor in this church in L.A. And in my heart, I'm thinking, man, L.A., I'm a Midwest guy, right? I don't know about gangs and all the tattoos and doing all. I don't want to take my beautiful wife and my two little boys that we had at that time and, and move into Los Angeles. Are you kidding me? That's the uttermost parts of the earth. And then God began to work in me about surrendering to whatever his will was. And I remember I was driving one day on business and I was by the church and I just stopped at the church and I walked back to the back of that church by myself. It was a kitchen area, linoleum floor. I just got there on the floor before the Lord and I said, Lord, I don't know what you want me to do. I don't know where you want me to go or what you want me to be. But, Lord, I'm surrendering right now. And even if you want me to go to Los Angeles, Lord, I will go if that's where you want me to go. That was the first time I took my hands off the wheel and I said, Lord, you put the vehicle where you want it to be. I'm the passenger. I'm riding with you, but you take charge. It's not me and you with both our hands on the wheel, Lord. I want you to direct the vehicle. I'm the passenger You're the driver. I'll go wherever you take me to go. And not too long after that, God called me and Julie to the country of Lithuania. And it's been a joy to let him drive the vehicle. It's been a joy to be a passenger. He's taken me to some places I would have never gone if I was driving the vehicle. What a blessing it is to serve and know him. I'm just saying he has empowered us right here. Secondly, through the power of his Holy Spirit... To take this message. Not only does he give me the authority to do it, he gives me the power to do it. Folks, I'm just telling you, there is nothing like taking the gospel of Jesus Christ, preaching that gospel, and seeing someone who was who was lost in idolatry, lost in sin, had no hope, just knew not God, knew nothing about God, and see them converted to Jesus Christ. That power doesn't come from me. That power is coming from Christ. And listen, he can reach anyone at any time. The the gospel can reach those that you could think would never be saved. They're never going to respond, you'll think. There's just no way. I'm thinking of a young lady right now in Lithuania. Uh, her name was Joanna. And she was, uh, she, first time she came to a church service, she was around 17, 18 years old, had bandages on her wrist. She had attempted suicide. Someone brought her to our church to visit. And I mean, she had blank stares and blank looks on her face. You would try to communicate with her. She was so emotionally scarred and damaged. You began to think, she's just never going to, she can't compute the gospel. 
She's so messed up up here, it's just not going to happen. And she continued coming for a year and a half. The blank stares continued. Uh, she'd get up and leave the service, go cry in another room, just weep and cry, blank stares. It just no smiles, just continued for a year and a half. And then one Sunday she comes and she says, I've believed. I said, Joanna, are you telling me that you've trusted in Christ? She said, I've believed. And her life began to change. She began to sing. She began to smile. She began to play the piano in our midweek service. What happened? The power of the gospel happened, right? Christ has empowered us to take this message. There's nothing that's lacking. Christ has given everything we need to take the message into the world. He's given us the authority to take it. He's given us the power to take it. And by my friends, it's His resurrection power that we go in. Man, praise God. What are we lacking? It's labors that we're lacking, right? Let me give you a third thought here about this gospel of Jesus Christ and the taking of the gospel. Not only was the mission authorized by Christ, not only was the mission empowered by Christ, but the mission was modeled by Christ. You say, well, what do you mean the mission was modeled by Christ? He says, as my Father has sent me, so I send who? So I send you. I came to complete my Father's will as He sent me here to complete His will, so I am sending you to complete my will. He's not asking us to do something that He Himself was not willing to do. Look over with me, if you would, in John chapter 14. I just want you to see a verse here. John chapter 14 and verse number 31. Alright? John chapter 14 and verse number 31. And here we read of the Lord Jesus where He says... But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do, arise, let us go hence. Now he's talking about finishing the, the, the commandment or the will of the Father, which will take him all the way to Calvary's hill, where he will become our substitute there and die on that cross there, shed his own blood that we may have peace. He who knew no sin, he became our sin that we might become the righteousness of God in who? In Jesus Christ. All right, so here's Christ. He says that the world may know that I love the Father. I'm getting ready to complete His commission that He gave to me. Now, here's my my question. If we kind of take and consider this verse, He came to save sinners, right? He came to finish the Lord, the Father's will. To prove His love for the Father, He does that. Now, the church today, and I'm speaking not about you, and I praise God for you and your faithfulness, and you're, you guys are missions-minded, okay? I'm not taking anything, not trying to belittle at all the church, but the church in general. The fact that a majority of the world today lies unreached with the gospel. The truth that a majority of our ethnic groups have never had the gospel of Jesus Christ preached to them. What does this say about the church's love for Jesus Christ? You see, it's a love issue. If we truly loved the Lord like He is worthy to be loved and like He should be loved, I'm just telling you, the gospel would be in the world today. The gospel would be being preached in every 
part of the world today. He said to the uttermost parts of the earth, take this message. I'm telling you that if we loved him as we should love him, the world would be hearing that message today. The problem and reason that the world is not hearing the message today is because our love for Christ is not as fervent as it should be. You don't have to agree with me. But the facts are the facts this morning. The majority of the world, there's not millions lost today. There are billions lost today. Waiting to hear of this message. Christ modeled it for us. He came. His love was was shown. His love was demonstrated for the Father by completing the mission. Is our love for Him demonstrated by the sacrifices that we make to either go or to pray or to send financially others to take that mission. It's about our love for Christ. Look at another passage here in Matthew. Just turn over with me in chapter 4. Chapter 4, Matt, or John, I'm sorry, John chapter 4. And, and come down and look with me in verse number 34. John chapter 4, verse 34. He met the woman right here at the well. As he comes down to verse 34, his disciples have come back and, and they're wondering what he's doing, why he's not hungry, why he's not eating, why is he, uh, why is he not uh, focused on what they're focused on, on the material. Verse 34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to what? And to finish... His work. Now, just stop. We're going to pick up the verse just a second. Is our meat the commission that Christ has given us? And to finish the work that Christ has given us? Is this our meat? Is this our purpose? Look as he continues. He very clearly shows us here that this is speaking of missions in verse number 35 when he says, Say not, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to what? Harvest. Now some of you are farmers. If it's white and it's already, what do you need to do? You can't wait. There's just a little window there. What do you have to do when the harvest is ready? You've got to go harvest it. Because if you miss the opportunity to harvest it, you missed your harvest. Folks, we're missing the harvest. There are souls in the world. The Bible says it's all ready. It's white. There just has to be some reapers who will go to the field, preach the gospel for the glory of Jesus Christ. Is it our meat? Are we committed to finish His work? I just want to challenge you today. This should be our heartbeat. To see His work finished, this proves our love for Christ. He modeled it for us. Our love is proved to Him by our commitment to the great commission of getting His gospel to all the world. Let me give you a last thought about Christ and missions, all right? And we'll be done. Not only was the mission authorized by Christ, not only is the mission empowered by Christ, not only is the mission modeled by Christ, but lastly... The mission, and this is the best part, if you can have a best part here, it's accompanied by Christ. Go back with me again to Matthew, our our passage, Matthew 28, and come down with me. He says in verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and what? Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So as we go out and we do this work, who's with us as we do the work? 
Jesus. What does it say over in Mark 16? He gives the great commission there to the disciples, to the apostles. And then it says, and the Lord working with them. Who goes with us? We read, we open up the book of Acts and we see in there when he writes to Theophilus there, Luke does. And he says, this began, this was the the former letter I wrote you. This was the beginning of the work of Jesus Christ. But here, this letter that I'm writing you, the book of Acts, this is the rest of his work that he's continuing to do. We think of the book of Acts as the acts of the apostles. Really, it's the acts of Christ continued through the apostles by the Holy Spirit of God. You see, as we go forth with the gospel, I don't go alone back to Ukraine. I wasn't alone when I was in Laos. The great truth is this. Christ is right there with me. Lo, Derek, I am with you. I'm working with you. I'm working through you. It's me, Derek. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. Wherever we go, he's right there with us. I'm telling you, that's pretty good incentive to do the work of the ministry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I was reading about Coca-Cola. Okay, Coca-Cola, when was it started? Late 18, like 1880 or something like this, 1890, down in Georgia. I think it was maybe the Atlanta area. Wasn't it a dentist or somebody? I don't remember who it was, but in his garage or something, he had a, made some sugared water, had it brown. I mean, Coca-Cola was born. 120 years ago. They say that today, the Coca-Cola logo is known, now listen, by 94% of the world's population. That's 7.6 billion people. 94% know Coca-Cola. Isn't that amazing? I mean, everywhere I've gone in, in Ukraine, the smallest of villages that I go to in Ukraine... I mean, it can be just a small little kiosk in this little village of maybe 500 or 1,000 people. And you'll go to that little village kiosk, and I can tell you almost with certainty, two things are going to be there. The one is Coca-Cola, which I'm not a big Coke guy. The other is Snickers. Now, I like Snickers. Amen. Praise God. You got Snickers there, Lord. Amen. But Coca-Cola is already there. Traveling throughout Laos. Restricted access country. Coca-Cola's there. How is Coca-Cola in 94% of the world today in only 120 years? But the gospel of Jesus Christ after 2,000 years is not in, I would say, 50% minimum of our world's population has not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not a clear gospel presentation. Isn't that something? I was reading, I just read a biography on a missionary. His name was uh, Henry Martin. I don't know if you've ever read of him or not, Henry Martin, but he was a missionary to India, and then he ended up uh, later in what is today modern-day Iran. And he had this statement that I'd like you to consider this morning. He said this, The Spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to Him, the more intensely missionary we become. The Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of what? Missions. The closer we get to Christ, the more intensely missionary we become. I think the closer we get to Christ, the more we love Him, the greater our desire is to see His commission completed because it's about Him and His glory. This this life is not about you or I. 
It's about Him. It's not about what makes you or I comfortable. It's not what about makes you or I happy. It's about His glory. You remember those two young men that I shared with you about that went to that uh, uh, to that those islands in the West Indies and they they take the gospel there to work with those twenty five hundred uh, slaves that were there. When they go to the boat to say goodbye to their families, they stood there arm in arm, and they had family standing down on the dock. And here they are leaving. I mean, they're gone. There's no connection here. They're sold themselves into slavery. As the boat began to pull away from the dock. One of the young men yelled back to those that were standing on the dock, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. What is that telling us about their thinking? May the lamb that was slain, may Jesus Christ, who bled and died upon that cross, may he receive the souls to whom he bled and died for. They're saying this life is not about us. It's not about our happiness. It's not about our contentedness. It's not about our comfort. It's about the glory of Jesus Christ and His glory being known in the world. I agree with Henry Martin's statement. The closer we draw to Christ, the more intensely missionary we will become. This last trip that I had to, uh, to uh, Laos, and we went that following Sunday, we were in Bangkok and uh, that, that Sunday service, they had a morning service, and they had a dinner on the grounds, and then they had an afternoon service. Right before the afternoon service, I'm walking around. I'm just trying to say hi and greet some people. M- majority, nobody speaks English, so it's just kind of a, it's kind of a bow and, and maybe a shaking of hands, kind of a smile. And there's this little older lady. She was sitting back on, on the left there of the auditorium, back towards the back. And she was just sitting there, and she looked very cute, this little old lady. I thought, well, I'll say hi to her. She kind of made eye contact with me. And I, I came over, and I, I kind of bowed. And she replied to me in English. And I said, oh, you, you speak some English. And she said, yes, yes. She, she was from China, but she was living there in Thailand. She's 82 years old. And then she shares this. My great-great-grandfather was led to Christ by a missionary. I said, really? I said, well, you, you don't happen to know what, what this missionary's name was, do you? And she said, yes. said, his name was Hudson Taylor. I, I, I was like, no way, <laughs> right? I said, are you sure? I, I said something like that. And I think she started then to doubt her English because her English was a little broken. And so she called her daughter over. Her daughter's probably 35, 40 year old. A lady came over, spoke fluent English. And I said, listen, your mom just said something to me. Your mom just told me that her great, great grandfather was led to Christ by Hudson Taylor. Is that true? She said, Yes. She said, Hudson Taylor was using English, was teaching my grandfather English, and through these English lessons, led my father, or great-great, I guess it would be her great-great-great-grandfather, to Christ. I said, well, what year was this? And she asked her mom in Chinese what year it was, and her mom replied, it's like 1882. Well, it fits the timeline. Hudson Taylor... You start counting up the generations of people. You come to the daughter. That's six generations of Chinese. That family group right there. Six generations that have been saved from whatever they were before. Whether it was Buddhism or animism. Whatever it was that they were before has been saved from that. 
delivered from that. Listen, folks, the gospel works. It is the power of God into salvation. Christ has commanded his church to get it out there to the world. May the Lord give us many more like this. If he so tarries, where generations will be impacted by the decision of that one that finally hears the gospel and is delivered from whatever bondage they were in, whatever religion it was that they were in bondage to, delivered from it, that now their families can grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Folks, that's what it's all about. That's what our purpose is all about. Our chief and great purpose as a church is to spread this message all over Sheraton right here, all over southern Iowa right here, all over Iowa in general, and then let's just keep going and let's take it to the uttermost parts of the earth. Maybe to you that's Kansas City, Missouri. I don't know, okay? But we have a mission. Our supreme commander has given us, and everyone is to have an active part. Now maybe you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ before as Lord and Savior. I'm going to just tell you this today. There are no other ways to have peace with God, my friend. There is nothing else that makes sense. There is nothing else that fits. There is a loving God, and he gave his son to die for you, and his son proved his love for you by going to the cross and dying there in your place. And then three days later, he rose in victory from the grave. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Shall be saved. If you're lost here today, you are lost here today because you choose to be lost. Christ wants to save you if you will come to him. If you're here today and you say, well, Brother Derek, I've already received Christ. I know Christ. Uh, I, I can tell you a time when I received him. My life was changed by him. Hallelujah. I'm a child of God. Then here's my question for you. Are you committed to the commission? I believe that every Christian should surrender to go. Now, God's going to call some to go. God's going to call others to stay. But I believe everyone should be committed to go. Because it's the same commitment level. You say, well, I'm old. How could God ever use me? Let God worry about that. That's not your job to try to think about it. Just surrender to God. Say, God, you take over whatever you want me to do for missions, whatever you would have me to do, I'm willing to do. Just let your glory be known. Are you committed? Have you ever surrendered to missions? Folks, we do need laborers. We need workers. There's a harvest that's white, that's ready. The numbers are going down. I've been told that within independent Baptist circles, somewhere around 50 years ago, around 30,000, 32,000 independent Baptist type missionaries in the world, that that number has gone down to like 17,000 today. Look, the world's population is going up. The workers, at least in America here, they're going down. Maybe God would be calling you to go. There's not a greater thing. I think it was Spurgeon who said, why, why stoop to be a king when you can be a missionary? Not a greater calling for your life. But let us be committed to his commission. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness and grace, for the privilege it is to have a part in your commission. Help us as a church, Lord, just be committed to that in every aspect. I thank you there are some here, Father, that are committed. They are giving and they are praying. And, Lord, this is a a good church. They've been a blessing to Julie. And I, I thank you for the missions focus that they have here. But, Lord, maybe there's some of us this morning you're calling to a greater commitment. Maybe there's some that you're calling to worldwide missions and to be a, a servant in your harvest 
to be a laborer in your harvest to help reap in these various parts of the world for your glory and for your praise. Maybe there's someone here this morning, Lord, you're convicting and calling to yourself for salvation. Oh, God, may there be surrender today for the glory of your praise. We love and praise and thank you now, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.